Hi everyone, uh, this is Utkarsh. I'm really excited to bring to you Neil from Johannesburg to teach you a bit about search funds and the interesting space that we operate in. Um, search funds I first stumbled upon when I was at INSEAD and um, just learning about it, taking a bunch of courses on it got me fascinated. Now Neil is somebody who's gone on to actually start a search fund and today we're going to dive deep into that. And one of the things that we want to explore is whether all of you are interested in, you know, a full-fledged course or a cohort-based program in the search fund space. So let us know whether that you'll be interested and we'll send you the sign-up details. So welcome to Network Capital, Neil. It's uh, great to have you here with us and learn more about your journey. Hi, Utkarsh. Yeah, thank you so much for, for the introduction and for setting this up. Uh, it's a great, great pleasure to be here with you today. And been following a bit of your work and yeah great pleasure to to be sharing some some insights and advice uh, with with you and your listeners today yeah i'm always fascinated by how friends and networks come together i met uh, uh, toba in davos he was with me in 2017 and uh, then i think a few years after you went to and he went to harvard uh, business school and then you know only after in 2020 did we discover 2021 that uh, it's uh, all connected and you, go, you, you all have worked together. So um, Neil, tell us a bit about uh, um, what is a search fund and uh, why should people care? Sure. So perhaps just to, uh, a quick technical differentiation, um, just to, to classify, I, I haven't launched a, a search fund myself, but we run a, a fund of search funds where we back lots of other search fund entrepreneurs Although my career has, has been very closely linked to kind of the search fund world and entrepreneurship through acquisition more generally. Um, so let me start perhaps at, at that highest level, just where search fund fit into the entrepreneurship space, because it's, it's a very particular section of it, uh, but it fits into entrepreneurship through acquisition more broadly. Uh, and then we can, we can dive into the search fund space. So entrepreneurship through acquisition is not something new. People have been doing this for decades, uh, if not centuries, rather than starting a business, which, as we all know, it can be, can be quite risky, high failure rates, difficult to kind of get your initial product market fit and your team and everything built around you. One other path into entrepreneurship is just to acquire an existing business that already has product market fit, that has an owner that wants to retire, has an existing team in place, and kind of gives this more de-risk path into entrepreneurship and in, in particular into kind of small business ownership. And what search funds are is, is quite a unique and structured path uh, into ownership of a small business uh, that was developed uh, at some of the US business schools, in particular at, at Stanford, um, the Graduate School of Business at Stanford in, in the 1980s, and then spread to some of the, the schools in, on the East Coast, in particular Harvard, uh, as kind of one of the, the first um, business schools to, to really uh, be proponents of, of this model. Now, a search fund is essentially one or two people that decide they want to become owners of a small business, and they raise a little bit of capital from 10 to 20 investors uh, that help and support them with a little bit of capital, a little bit of support, advice, mentorship uh, for a two-year journey to go and screen hundreds of businesses in their local markets 
and then identify one that they want to acquire. And then acquire that business with their investor support and then take over the operations, replace the CEO, and then run that small business for anything from five years all the way on to two to three decades and hold it for, for, the, for the long term. So it's a very specific path into small business ownership. I'll pause Got there. It. Uh, it sounds fascinating and scary. So tell us uh, a bit about the fascinating and scary part of it, because uh, it seems like you're going out there and looking for companies that are well run, but not run optimally, and then looking to turn them around and you know, buy them out and so on and so forth. What does the process actually look like? How do you scout for such companies? Yeah, very good question. I'd say uh, the, the first part is you really, for, for most searchers, will be first-time CEOs. They'll, they'll typically be an early 30s, recent business school graduates for the most part, although kind of that profile is starting to change as the, the field becomes a little bit more developed. But it's really important for a first-time CEO to be in a business that's stable and that ideally isn't a turnaround. Because to, to be the, the CEO of, of a business for the first time means all of a sudden the buck stops with you on everything. You have to be in charge of HR and sales and marketing and finance and strategy and all these components that if you typically come from a private equity background or management consulting background, you've seen components of this, but not all of it. So we, say, we think the best searchers find companies that are stable, that are growing, and that have really good fundamentals to optimize their chances of success. So you mm. want to limit the scary as a, as a first time CEO, if this is gonna be the first time you run a business, you certainly don't want to inherit something that requires a lot of work and quick and rapid action. The ideal mm. is for a searcher or search pair to come into the small business and for the first year or so, not really have to do anything. Just learn the ropes, keep the business kind of on its feet, have, have stable cash flow, pay salaries, do the things that they need to do, rather than getting into a position where three months in, you've got to change strategy, find new clients, lead new sales efforts. And so looking for something that's really stable with, with uh, kind of a recurring revenue base that gives nice kind of safety uh, and margin of safety for a new operator. Yeah. Now that probably that leads into your other question, which is how do you find these companies? You know, you, it's as if you're looking for a needle in a haystack. Like, how many small businesses are there that you can buy that's already stable? Why would that owner sell? Why would they sell to you? Right. And the reality is that it is really difficult. It's a really difficult path um, that the best searchers would, would go on, not because they want to be searchers, but because they want to be small business CEOs. That's a North right. Star that keeps them going. Just can look at 2,000 companies, 15,000 companies before they acquire just one. So right. it's, it's a game of numbers and a game of perseverance and determination that uh, is often only possible for those that have the real determination to end up as a small business CEO. So I'll Got pause it. there if, if you want to take the conversation in, in any, any direction. Yeah, you know, I just went into my house and uh, decided to show you something. This is uh, a brand of, called Halab. Um, it's a sweet shop, um, which has been running since 1881 uh, in Lebanon. 
So it's a country which is having like very serious political and economic challenges. From the brief research that I did, it seems to me that the revenues are sub sub million dollars. Even though in Dubai, Abu Dhabi, they have stores, they are present in um, uh, in various airports. So would this company, say a legacy business, eighteen eighty one sweet shop, doing doing its thing, would it be a search fund categorization? Would you would you look for it as a potential investment? Yes, no, maybe. And I'm asking this because there's so many of these mom and pop shops or traditional family businesses that are doing very healthy revenues, um, but can be doing more. Sure. So I'd say again, you, you've got to think about various components of the entrepreneurship through acquisition ecosystem. Um, certainly, for for smaller transactions, if I heard you correctly, did you say a million dollars per annum in in revenues? Yeah, roughly. I mean, okay. I. I I haven't done a deep research on it, but a quick uh, Google search told me that. Okay. Okay. Good. So, perhaps you speak to the types of targets or, or target companies that you typically find in the search fund world. Because you need quite a big margin of safety, we look for slightly more established or slightly bigger businesses. Traditional have between a million to five million dollars in cash profits per annum. So you're looking at slightly more established businesses. Of course, this can differ by markets and by country, and a variety of reasons can, can make businesses bigger or smaller. Um, but this one to $5 million of cash profit, which hmm. typically translates to about five up to perhaps $30 million in annual revenues, is really hmm. the, the size of business that you look for in the traditional search fund world, so in our little segment of entrepreneurship through acquisition, but self-funded searches, there are different ways of, of buying a business. It can be self-funded. You can go and work in the business and then buy it as the management team from the inside. The other path that I would say is, is more appropriate for a smaller business like the one that, that you've described. Um, does that answer your question? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I was wondering, I wasn't sure myself whether this would fit into a search fund or you know, just like smaller acquisition. But you told me that uh, you're not technically a search fund, you're like a meta search fund. So could you describe that a bit? Yes. So so we describe ourselves as a, a, a fund of search funds, which means we identify various individuals that want to launch this, this pursuit in acquiring a single business. Um, hmm. And, and we back many of them. So, so we've, we've invested in about 25, 26 search funds now, um, of which some of our searches have identified targets or companies that they wanted to acquire. They've gone through the, the transaction process with due diligence and everything involved in that. Um, and we look to, to back in our first fund about 60 search funds. Um, that then operate hmm. their searches for a single company to acquire all over the world. Got it. And uh, what does success look like for a search fund and for um, a search fund of search funds like which you guys are? So suppose you buy a, a company, how do you, what do you define as success? It's, it's a great question. And it's frankly one of the questions we ask prospective searchers when we screen them. So hmm. before we decide to partner with someone, we want to understand why they want to do this. And like with any other career or entrepreneurial decision, things are deeply personal. People have their own reasons for doing what they want to do. They, they're all 
kind of unique in, in the way that they think about their own careers. They position themselves quite uniquely, which is also important. Um, when you're trying to convince an owner to sell their baby, the thing that they've been growing for 30, 40 years to you, the reason that you're different to a private equity fund or a competitor that wants to buy you or a, or a corporate is because the owner really likes your story. So it's important for us on the way in to understand what the searcher's story is and how they think of success for themselves. Some searchers want to get in, buy a business, run it for two to three years, and then sell it and make a you know, decent financial gain for themselves with a view of then backing other searchers in the future. So they'll hmm. become future search fund investors. Hmm. You get other searchers that say, I want to be an operator forever. I want to buy a business. I want to run it not just for two to three years, which is short. I'd say the norm is, is five to seven. But they'll say, hey, I want to run this business for the next 10, 15, 20 years. I want to build the regional champion in my chosen industry. Um, and this is what I do for the rest of my life. And that definition of success for, for everyone is, is quite different. I'd also say that when you launch a search fund, one of, you've got one of two outcomes. You either fail to find a company, which happens to about a third of searchers that launch, or at least that's the historic stat. So for every three searchers that launch, one of them will not find a company that they want to acquire. And they'll spend two years of their career looking for a business and not find anything. That for us is not failure. Failure is buying the wrong business and committing a decade of your career to something where you really sh that you really shouldn't be in. So mm -hmm. the second potential outcome then is you do find a company, you acquire something, and there there's another split. It can go really well. You can grow a business for five to 10 years and you achieve you know, significant growth, sell the business, make good financial um, kind of or achieve good financial value for yourself. Um, and that, that's considered a good outcome. Or the business can fail for a variety of reasons. And, and that's what we would say is probably one of the worst outcomes for, for searchers at the end of the day is, is acquiring a business that, that fails to launch or go sideways for a very long time. So a business that kind of stays where it was, they're in that position for 10 years um, and, and they kind of they get to run a small business, but they don't really achieve the returns that they wanted to achieve for themselves or for their investors. Right. What are some common causes of failure? Let's discuss the last case where you back the wrong company and it doesn't grow or you know, collapses. It's a very, very good question. Um, what we've what we've heard and what we've seen in, in the space, of course, there's this the big thing around luck. You can't be things happen. <laughs> you you know, yeah, we, we've we've heard of of, uh, of the, there have been search fund acquisitions that, especially now in, in in COVID, acquired a business in the events marketing space. It was a great business up until recently. No one could have foreseen COVID, and and, and that can happen. So you you can have these big kind of outside of your control risks that are always that are always present. However, within the things that you can control, for the most part, um, the most important thing is is the quality of the business that you acquire. So outside of any massive failings on the searches on, on the part of ethics or how they treat their employees and treat their investors, it's really about picking the right type of company with the right profile and ideally the right revenue profile. So that typically means businesses with long-term contracts, 
high levels of recurring revenue. So think of it as like a subscription business is perhaps one of the, the best examples. Um, for the most part, those revenues are stable. You can bank on it coming in month on month on month. Whereas a, a bad business, bad business um, would be businesses with high levels of customer concentration. So one client decides to leave, they were 40% of your revenues. And as a first time CEO, you get into this position, you lose that client and everything that you've paid for is kind of dissipated immediately. Um, so I'd say that the choice of business model is, is the most important predictor of success. Got it. Uh, have you heard of this company called Micro Acquire? I've come across them. Um, I'm not deeply familiar with their business model, but it's hmm. a it's certainly a name that's that's been kind of thrown around in the, uh, in the entrepreneurship through acquisition about. space. Yes. Yeah. So what what uh, what my understanding is that you can list your online business for sale on that website, and essentially it finds you a buyer. It matches a person willing to sell a business. Um, Non-VC scale, but say you can make a few million dollars doing that. So how how is is that a search fund equivalent? Is, are there similarities, or is that a completely different model? So let me explain that through a, a simple. Uh, so suppose there's a website. Let's call it microma.com. Hypothetically, there you can list if you run an online business, you can list it for sale. Say you run abc.com or abc.xyz. Um, you list it and say, I'm looking to sell it for $2 million or $5 million. And then there are a bunch of buyers constantly looking for businesses to acquire, potentially turn them around or sell them at a higher price. Um, and somebody makes a bid, the company gets sold, end of the story. The founder makes, makes a decent amount of cash. The buyer hopefully gets hope. Um, are there similarities to a search fund or is that different? So I'd say there's certainly similarities. Um, it's it's very I haven't come across this, but I'm sure it's possible that searchers, when they look for that one company in 2000 that they want to acquire, that they perhaps source that through a business broker or a business broker platform. Now I'm I'm not familiar with micro acquire in particular, um, but I can imagine that that a, a searcher could have find a business on that on that platform and acquire it. Although I would I would guess that it's uncommon. Um, but it speaks to this, this broader point that entrepreneurship through acquisition isn't just through the search fund model. I mean, you yeah. as an individual, you don't have to go and raise a search fund first. You don't have to go and find 20 investors that want to back you or you and a partner and then go on this, on this two-year journey to find a single business to acquire. If you're still working full-time, but you really want to be you know, the CEO of a small business, you can use <laughs> platforms like MicroAcquire kind of side of desk, I imagine, while you're still holding down a full-time job. And you can look for good opportunities. And if you find a business that suits you and that you think that you'd be well suited to running, nothing prevents you from then saying, okay, I want to buy this business. And once you've identified that company, go to investors, whether it's the traditional search fund community, whether it is your own kind of family, friends, your own personal networks, former bosses, and say, hey, I've identified this business I didn't need a search fund to do it. And mm. now I just want to acquire the, the company itself. Um, so it can certainly be an alternative path into entrepreneurship through acquisition that isn't the traditional search fund model. Got it. 
So when you went to INSEAD, one, did you have a clear career plan? And did you think you'll graduate starting a search fund? Um, yeah, there's, there's a long backstory, I guess, to, to how I got into the space, which, which I haven't yet shared. Um, but I started my, my professional career, you may, just before I started my professional career, I actually worked for ESPN Quick Info when I was still kind of in high school as one of their, their commentators. Uh, kind of paying my way through through varsity and in that pro i worked as you know, as a bartender and did all kinds of things to kind of pay my way through uh through university and was always close to small business and small business owners you know, help with cash ups and stock ups and and the like and you just get a feel for what it is like to be a small business owner after my undergrad my first job was in in a small management consulting firm basically got spun out of kind of bain's private equity practice um and they did you know, commercial due diligence work for the private equity industry down here in South Africa. Now, this was a small firm, 20 people, um, and it got bought out by a family office of sorts right as I joined them. And I experienced firsthand being the employee of a, of a SME that was going through a ownership transition, um, which was quite a unique thing to see early in, in, in my career. And three months afterwards, I got pulled into the family office's investing team to go and find other SMEs to acquire. And I did that for about three and a half years and just got kind of through, basically through luck, got involved in small business acquisitions. Um, and that's how, how ultimately my path crossed with, with Toba that you mentioned earlier. In 2015, I joined a firm called Awetu Project Capital down here in, in South Africa. And we did these small business acquisitions and then recruited new CEOs and kind of the searcher type profile on the back end. So that was my last job before going to, to business school. And I knew that I wanted to take this entrepreneurship through acquisition model to more to a more global scale. Having been on the front end, having myself engaged with you know, screen 7,000 businesses and met with 500 owners and signed 100 term sheets, 50 due diligences and doing kind of 25 of these little acquisitions. I knew that myself and, and the team that I'm working with now had a unique experience kind of early in our careers that positioned us well to support other people that want to go and do this and buy businesses for themselves to run. So when I ultimately went to business school in 2018, um, I had a, a sense that this is something that I wanted to do. But I wasn't yet sure if maybe after business school, I wanted to launch my own search fund, go and find a single business that I wanted to run as CEO. And it took a lot of really deep reflection on what my skills are, what my unique experiences were, and importantly, what suits my personality. Um, and after a lot of reflection, decided I was better suited to support other people to go through this journey, use the skills that I built up to help them acquire good businesses and see some of the, you know, the components of transactions that you haven't really seen as if you're a searcher that wants to acquire a business for the first time. Um, so ultimately decided that that was better suited to, to support other people um, and decided to become a, a fund of search funds rather than mm. a search fund myself, if, if I can tie that loop back. Fascinating. What are some classes that you took at NCR that, uh... Uh, helped you with the skills, the networks? Um, did you do something within INSEAD to sort of prepare for the journey ahead? <clears throat> no, that, that's a great question. 
Um, you know, I had come from a private equity and, and kind of corporate finance transacting background. So I actually tried to take classes that were slightly different. I focused a lot on kind of organizational behavior and psychological issues in management. And what we, what we realize now is when you deal with business owners and SMEs in general, the, the relationship component and the personalities involved are so intertwined with how the businesses are run that it often comes just down to how you deal with people more than it comes down to the technical components. Of course, you need to understand accounting and finance and deal making and all of those, all of those elements. But for me at business school, it was really about the softer side, how to deal with people um, and how to manage kind of those, those types of, of uh, situations that are ever present, ever present in, in small business dynamics. Um, I asked a question to a lot of our profs at, at business school. I, I would ask them, what types of questions do the executive MBAs ask you that MBA students do not ask you? And the context there for, for those that aren't familiar with business school is executive MBAs are, are typically 10 to 15 years ahead in their careers. So when we were all kind of late in our 20s, executive MBAs would be late 30s, even into their 50s. So I asked this question because I think people that are 10 to 20 years ahead of you ask the questions that you should start preparing for now. Um, and I got the most most interesting answers. The, the profs almost always said questions about people, managing people, motivating people, and dealing with never questions about how do you calculate EBITDA or what's hmm. the formula for return on tangible capital. Yeah, those questions don't, don't get asked as often. So that was a good kind of lens and, and steer for me to go more on the human element than, than on the technical element. But maybe just to circle back, there, there are a couple of, of specific electives at, at INSEAD that helped a lot. There's a class called uh, Realizing Entrepreneurial Potential, which is really all about acquisition entrepreneurship, lots of case studies, great professors, great kind of guest lecturers and former searchers and small business CEOs that would talk about their journeys. And then right at the end, this wasn't an elective, this was a kind of a core course, kind of the, the capstone course or your first 100 days, which is basically a simulation of you've bought the small business, you are now the CEO or the searcher that's acquired a business, and everything just goes wrong. From your salesperson quitting to some big uh, kind of reputational fallout to a staff member getting hurt on site, what do you do? Um, and I think that was there was an excellent uh, preparation for for the small business CEO career path. Awesome, thanks, Neil. Um, now let's turn to f the fundraising process. So, uh, how did you raise funds for Ambit? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, when when we got going, um, my my two partners and I, uh, Rob, our kind of our managing partner had started making search fund investments in his personal capacity. He also went to business school. He was a Harvard grad from 2010, 2011, if I recall. Um, Rob, I hope I, I, I didn't get that wrong. Uh, but he learned about search funds um, back, you know, almost a decade ago and really wanted to get back into kind of the international search fund community and started making these investments using his own capital. Myself and, and our third partner, and joined him in that and, and started using our own capital and um, making really small initial investments and 
just being very hands-on with with our searchers and to build a reputation and, and, and you know, as being helpful uh, investors in the space. And slowly, people said, "Well, what you're doing is is really interesting. Um, can can I back you as well? Uh, can can I invest alongside you? Can I invest behind you?" And we realized there could be a, an interesting business here for us, and we could do this full time. So, with kind of the classic story, started with friends, family, former bosses, former clients, people we had done good work with, and started slowly. Um, we, we raised a couple of million dollars doing that and kind of started deploying the capital on the other side and then went on a, a much more formal capital raising process in February uh, this year, uh, where we started going out to you know, family offices and, and people outside of our direct networks, but mm. with a, kind of the initial stamp of approval from people that knew us well. Um, and it worked with us before. And that's been our journey today. And the work continues. Yeah. And uh, did you find broad familiarity with the concept when you went out to family offices? Because um, I imagine that they, some of them might be more accustomed to the more traditional forms of investment, say public markets. Now startups are popular. How about search funds? Yeah, that's a very good question. I'd say the, the level of familiarity is, is, is quite mixed. You know, the the reality is that search funds are a very small component, even of the the you kind know, of the venture capital and private equity industry. There's there's been a little bit over a, a billion dollars ever invested in search funds. Now that sounds like a lot of money, but by kind of private equity standards, you know, if you think like Carlyle or any of these Carlyle or Apollo or the big private equity funds, I mean, a single fund is a is a multiple of that. Um, so it's it's really a small segment. It's hard to reach, it's hard to access. So for a lot of people, they've never heard of it. They've never heard of, of a search fund, but for the type of investor that, that resonate, for whom our product resonated, they were deeply familiar with some component of the search fund. Model. Either they had bought a business themselves when they were younger and they wished the search fund model had existed, or they tried to exit a family business and they couldn't really find the right acquirer. They, they hoped there was a, well, now they wish there was a searcher available to buy that business from them back in the day. So they would understand the, the kind of the value creation process and why search funds are so unique, but also why it's hard to reach it directly. Um, then on the, on the other side, we had investors that had been investing in search funds for decades, but they'd been investing in them in their home markets and they know and understand their home markets really, really well. They know and understand the search fund model really well but they would like to see the model go into, into other markets. So we focus quite a bit on, on the emerging market side. Um, you know, we participated in, in the first search fund acquisition in Africa, um, and we're in, in the first handful of search funds in, in a couple of markets around the globe. So kind of supporting us to help the model expand beyond just hmm. you know, the traditional borders. There, of course, you have high levels of um, understanding, probably a better understanding of the model than we have. Um, to, to be very honest, and then on the other side, people that have never heard about it at all. Yeah. As a search fund operator, what are the pros and cons of operating in emerging markets? The cons seem obvious because it's less organized, it's uh, stuttery, but are there, uh, you know, is there more to the story? Yeah, I think there's, uh, there's a question around what is it like to launch a search fund? in a less yeah. well kind of serviced market. And then there's a more broader question around what is it like being a SME owner in an emerging market versus a stable market? So 
let me perhaps start specifically from the search fund perspective and, and then we can circle back to kind of the more generic side if, if, if you'd like to. Sure. <clears throat> I think the first and biggest difference in raising a, a search fund outside of kind of the, the well-established markets is the types of models that are available to you. And what I mean by that is the search fund model has developed, if you look at the US, to the point where there are search fund accelerators, there are kind of quasi-accelerators where you have a single investor that backs you. You don't have a team of 10 to 20 people. Think of it as the Y combinator of search funds. You go and sit in a shared space and you feel very, very hands-on. And that model suits a large component of kind of the, the search fund world or the acquisition entrepreneurship world. Then you get you know, more uh, hybrid models where someone will take a you know, 40 to 50% stake in your, in your search and you'll have a, a little bit of room for other people and still very hands-on, hands-on involved. And then you can go the traditional search fund model, which is you know, this group of 10 to 15, maybe 20 investors. Hmm. Now, that, that model doesn't exist outside of, at least for now, it doesn't exist hmm. outside of the US and Western Europe, where these, these search fund accelerators um, have become sort of quite, um, quite well known. There's one that recently launched also an NCAD alum um, that focuses on the Australian market that's doing really good work. But if you want to launch a search fund, um, say in Kenya, there's no search fund accelerator in Kenya yet. So your, hmm. your options are, are more limited. In the same vein, it's often harder to get someone that wants to do it with you. So you hmm. get this, this dichotomy. You can either search by yourself as a solo searcher, or you can search in a pair. It's just easier to get a pair in a market where 80% of your classmates also want to stay in the US. There's a much bigger pool of people that want to partner with you. If you're the only Kenyan in your class at Stanford and you want to go back and launch a search fund in Kenya, it's really difficult to find a partner that wants to do it with you or more difficult at least. Hmm. Um, so I'd say that's the, the, first big, is the, the, the first big differentiator is the types of models that are available to you. The second, I'd say, is the types of funding. Hmm. In the US and in Western Europe in particular, there's quite a bit of debt capital available for acquisitions. That's not true in all markets. And the same is true for raising your initial search investments. You know, international investors hmm. like us always want to see a local contingent, people from the local market that invest alongside us, because we don't know every country and its unique elements. Um, yeah. And where the model is new, it's just harder to convince that first handful of folks that hmm. want to invest alongside you because the model is it's just harder. Right. The third, I'd say, is talent, access to talent to build your business. And that's a bit of a, I'd say, a, a, a two-sided sword. It's you're probably one of the very few people that want to launch a search fund in, in your chosen market. So from that perspective, you're the unique talent. The, the flip side of that, it may be harder for you to build your team after acquisition. Hmm. That's not true in every market. It's a, it's a bit of a generalization, but it's something that we encourage people to, to think about. And then the last one is, is kind of just access to SMEs. That means how many of them are there in the market? So how deep is that market? You know, the US has hundreds of thousands of small businesses that you can screen. That's not true in, in every market, especially in frontier markets, especially when you start applying the search fund criteria that means it's got to be stable of a specific size your kind of your your pond within which you can fish can be quite small and the types of tools you have available to identify those businesses can be quite different 
not every market has national databases that show business ownership and kind of who owns yeah. them and what their contact details are. So it's quite important in more frontier markets, and again, slightly generalized, to have deep local networks through which you can find and identify opportunities, which isn't that obvious when, you, when you're on the outside. That's fascinating. And Neil, uh, let's talk about competition a bit. So there are, uh, suppose there are markets where there are multiple search funds operating. Um, you've encountered that at Ambit, you briefly alluded to. How do, how do you set yourself apart there? Is it your personal brand? Is it your track record? Is it something else? Yeah, so I guess the, the, maybe just to pause and clarify, do you mean what differentiates us as an investor to search funds that want to bring us on? Or do you are you referring to what differentiates search funds, the individuals that are maybe they're, they're two or three searching in a particular market at any point in time? Right. So suppose there's a, a company X in a geography Y, and there are multiple search funds approaching that company. Sure. How should that company choose uh, the, the right per partner? Yeah, that's a very good question. And we're, we're certainly seeing in, in certain markets, especially the markets that are really well serviced, like the US or, or Canada um, components of Western Europe, there are certainly more than kind of one search fund at any point in time active in the market. Now, I think a, a big theme here is uh, certainly there can be competition. You can have various search funds kind of bidding on the same transaction, going after the same owner, which is which is not ideal. The ideal is that you find a, a proprietary a proprietary opportunity that you find through your own networks that you knock on the door. The owner is speaking with just you, um, because that's where where owners can really identify with who you are as the new management team, the new CEO. The person that's going to take over their business and their legacy. Um, now, things aren't always perfect, and, and the model will continue to develop. But what we see in in most markets, at least for now, is that the pure number of business owners that want to retire and that don't have a succession plan far outweighs the number of searches that come into the market. So there's more supply of small businesses that need good succession solutions than there is supply of searches in any market, at least for, from what we've seen. So we, we tell searchers, be honest. You differentiate yourself by being who you are, by buying a company that perhaps suits your, your previous skills, your industry experience. It's not a prerequisite, but you, you're just more likely to set yourself up for success um, when you compare yourself up with, with really the, the right opportunity for you. Got it, got it. Yeah, thanks, Neil. Um, where should people go and sort of read up more or strengthen their knowledge in this space? Is, are there some books you recommend? Um, any blogs or articles or podcasts you suggest? Yes, there's there's been, I think, a lot of very interesting content coming to market, new podcasts coming out that I, I would certainly recommend. Starting with books, and uh, perhaps the, the, the two ones that are most often cited. One is a book uh, on entrepreneurship through acquisition more broadly. This, that, this isn't about search funds in particular, but about this, this broader concept of buying a business, kind of buying yourself a career if you want. It's a book mm. called Buy Then Build by Walker Diebell, Diebell, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and then there's another book that was issued by two Harvard Business School professors I think it's called the HBR Guide to Buying a Small Business. 
Hmm. Um, excellent book that speaks about a lot of the different paths you can pursue, the things you need to consider, um, both from a personal reflection component. I, I want to flag this as a, as a clear piece. Buying a small business is not the right career path for most people. And hmm. you've got to think deeply about why you want to do that. And I think these books can help you significantly in, in that process. Um, from a podcast perspective, there, there's a lot of interesting ones. There are a lot of interesting people to follow um, on Twitter and, and, and the space. So you'll, you'll find kind of the SME finance world on Twitter. Um, hmm. Some people buy businesses and, and kind of build conglomerates and, and just share their experiences. I'd be happy to share some, some interesting channels with you. Um, but some good names to, to follow on in, in the Twitter sphere. And then from a, a podcast perspective, there's also Buy and Build. Um, it's uh, also an interesting podcast on this, on this space. Um, there's a podcast called Think Like an Owner by a gentleman hmm. called Alex, Alex Bridgman. That's excellent. He has a variety of, of guests on small business ownership and entrepreneurship through acquisition as well. And once you start getting into that world, you'll, you'll find many more um, of these, these links. Great. Any parting advice uh, to people uh, who might be interested in this space? Yeah, I'd say the, the biggest one and, and the one that we look for before we back kind of future acquisition entrepreneur CEOs is really think about if this is the right path for you. It, it sounds quite interesting. It sounds exciting. You know, you go and you find a business to acquire and you do a transaction and it feels a little bit like private equity and then you run a small business and, and that sounds exotic, but it's a really difficult, really, really difficult path. Both the process of finding and acquiring a business and then being committed to that business for three to 30 years. Um, so I would start with a lot of self-reflection um, and then just do some, some online research. There's a lot of um, resources now available. One that we we use as a team and that we uh, kind of advise all of our searches to use is, is a great uh, online tool and assessment uh, that was developed by, by Adam Grant and, and Ray Dalio called Principles U. It's a great kind of psychometric tool that helps you understand yourself and your partner if you're going to launch this in a, in a partnership. But start with a, a real honest conversation with yourself. Why do you want to be a small business CEO? Is it driven by your desire for ownership? Is it driven by growing up around a lot of other kind of small business owners? Um, what's driving that, that desire? And then be as prepared as you can. Pick, pick the path that suits you, whether it's a traditional search fund, a self-funded search, an MBO working within a business and acquiring it later in your career. There are many, many ways to do this. And for everyone, it'll be unique. So the first thing to do is understand yourself and inform yourself yeah philosophical advice in a financial masterclass that's what we're here for on network capital neil i just want to say i thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and uh, i'm pretty sure our mutual friend toba is going to enjoy it and so will our hundreds and thousands of uh, subscribers all around the world we look forward to having you back here on network capital to teach perhaps a cvc on the larger subject meanwhile all the very best and hopefully some nc people will add to your fund and uh, make it grow even further. Of course, thank you very much. It's been great to to be here with you and, and share some share some advice. I hope it's it's helpful. Um, the other last piece of advice I would say is never just take one person's advice. So, if this has been an interesting, 
um, kind of first glance for a lot of your listeners into the world of acquisition entrepreneurship. Uh, please do immerse yourself, listen to a lot of other people than just me. Um, and uh, that's the way that, that people ultimately make good decisions. So thanks for, for having me. And, and I hope this, this has given a, a bit of a jolt uh, for some folks that may be considering this as, as a career path. I have no doubt. Thank you so much.